Good morning, everybody. Morning. I've got a question coming up. That's why I'm opening up the chocolates as usual. Uh, can anyone remember what Bible story we were studying last time I spoke, a couple of weeks ago? Talking about prayer, what Bible story were we studying? It's been two weeks, it's been a long time. Andy? Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, no! Small man? Sound of three, that was Zacchaeus, wasn't it? Sound of three? No? Feeding of the 5,000? Do you remember that? Well, I'll keep my chocolate. Okay. <laughs> All right, well, the next question was, can you remember the main point I wanted to to get across as we started about feeding the 5,000 and Jesus praying all night? But I have low hopes for you now. (laughs) All right, I'll keep my chocolates. Let's turn to Psalm 131. To jog our memories, here's the psalm we finished with last time. We looked at Jesus feeding the 5,000, and then he prayed all night, didn't he? And we we began to look at what type of prayer he might have been praying and what he taught us. And Psalm 131 is this amazing psalm that stands out all on its own. David was a God after man's own, God, a man after God own, God's heart. He wasn't a God after man's heart, was he? he was a man after God's heart. And he prayed a lot, and we've got a lot of David's prayers recorded in the psalms, but here is something he recorded that isn't really a prayer. He's not requesting anything, he's not praising. He's just, well, we'll read it, shall we? It says, My heart is not proud, Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. But I have calmed and quieted myself. I am like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forevermore. So David isn't making any requests. He's not even giving any praise This is just a man before his God. Can you see that? And we looked at how an unweaned child or an unweaned baby doesn't know any better. Its only concern is me, me, me. Yeah, you remember that bit? You do. Here we go, Wendy. I know you can't have it, but you can pass it on to someone else. That A baby says, I'm hungry, I'm tired, I'm uncomfortable, I'm awake. Wah, wah, wah. Doesn't care how you feel. Me, me, me. But a weaned child begins to trust that mum and dad or whoever's looking after them has got their needs in hand and they can enjoy the moment in their parents' arms or in their parents' company, even to the point of actually wanting their parent to enjoy them. You know, this two-way kind of uh, conversation or or relationship happening, not just a one-way, wow, give me, give me, give me. So David's writing and he's saying, I'm like a weaned child, quiet and and calmed before you. So I have actually found my own weaned child. Okay, I keep this weaned child in a bag. <laughs> yeah, and I put him head. I put him head first, so his, his feet. Are, yep. Okay. So I want you to meet. Hang on. I want you to meet Benny. Ah, who said that? It's a puppet. It's not real. It's just, who was that? Who said that? Brian Connolly, wasn't it? Do you remember Brian Connolly? It's a puppet. Do you remember his puppet's name? 
Larry the Loafer. Do you remember Larry the Loafer? No? So Gordon the Gopher. Oh, well. My age group. Anyway, here's, here's Benny. Not to be mixed, or, or, um, mixed with our real son, Ben. But this is Benny. And Benny lives in the loft. Again, it's just a puppet, so. <laughs> so you don't have to be too sad. Now, Ben, I just want you to sit there and be my winged child, if that's all right. Okay, thank you. Let me, let me get my notes. I've got one hand now. So, just recapping our last three sermons. The first sermon was, can you remember, it was all about prayer. The first sermon was, your prayers help. The second sermon was, you need the prayers of others. And the third sermon, which was the last one, was, basically, there's times when you need to be alone in secret with the Father. Just you and he, like a weaned child. Perhaps not asking for anything, not shopping, but what did we say last time? Stopping. And we asked the question, when you pray, do you pray to get something? Or do you pray to know someone? So that was an important question we asked. Okay, so let's go back to the, uh, the telling of the 5,000, feeding of the 5,000, shall we? Let's go to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6, verse 42. <laughs> Benny doesn't speak as you're... As you're... <laughs> As you'll find, he does, he does speak to me. Yeah, no, I don't think they'll appreciate a joke. <laughs> okay, one joke. All right, are you ready? What is the joke? How many tickles does it take to make an octopus laugh? Ten. Ten, yes, ten tickles, doesn't it? Ten tickles. Okay, all right, that's enough now. It says, they all ate and were satisfied. This is verse 42. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces of bread and fish. Now that's one basket, isn't it, for each disciple? Do you think Jesus was trying to tell them something? Was he trying to tell them that even if God is so generous to someone else, there's always stuff left for you? He doesn't run out. Just because he's done that for someone else doesn't mean that you've missed out. <laughs> or it might mean when you're serving Jesus, he has promised, doesn't he, to take care of your needs. So maybe it means that. Okay, flick over. Let's carry on. The number of men who had, been eat, had eaten was 5,000. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get in the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. Now, we don't know what Jesus was doing and saying in prayer that evening, and it was actually into the early hours of the next morning, wasn't it? He was there for at least eight hours praying. Now, we can imagine that he was giving thanks for the feeding of the 5,000 that the Father had just done through him. Um, we can imagine that perhaps he was seeing a vision of the Father saying he's just about to go out and walk on water, perhaps. We don't really know what Jesus was praying but I think the Bible does reveal something of what Jesus might have felt like whilst he was praying. I think the Bible reveals to us 
what posture or position Jesus was praying from and praying into as he was praying. And as we look at it, it might help us, as we look at what Jesus might have been doing, it will help us to be quietened and calmed, weaned children, just like Benny before our father. But long before Jesus chose his 12 disciples and gave them each one basket full of leftovers each, God chose Jacob's sons, the 12 sons of Jacob. He also renamed him Israel, the 12 sons of Israel. He chose them. And just before those 12 tribes of Israel crossed over to the promised land, Moses spoke a prophetic blessing over each individual tribe. So let's turn to Deuteronomy, back in the Old Testament now. Deuteronomy, is it the fifth book? The fifth book of the Old Testament, is it? Yeah. Let's turn to Deuteronomy, chapter 33. And I just want to read you one blessing over one tribe. Okay. Now, this is pure coincidence that we named our son Ben, and we named Benny, Benny. And we're looking at the blessing over Benjamin. Okay. If you didn't know, the word Ben means son of. So whenever we read like Ben Haddad or Ben, Ben-Hur, perhaps in the film it means son of her, son of Haddad. Now here we have Benjamin. Now it says in chapter 33 of Deuteronomy verse 12, it says about Benjamin. Now Benjamin means son of my right hand. So who do we know who sits at the right hand of the Father? Jesus, Jesus yeah, it's not you, Benny. You sit at the left hand of your Father. But Jesus sits, sits at the... Oh? Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father. So as well as prophesying over the future of the Benjamite, the, Benj- the Benjamins, or the Benjamites, Moses is ultimately talking about Jesus coming. Jesus sitting at the Father's right hand. Okay. So when we read this blessing over Benjamin, it's talking over the people of Benjamin, but it's also speaking about Jesus as well. So about Benjamin, he said, let the beloved of the Lord rest secure in him, for he shields him all day long, and the one the Lord loves rests between his shoulders. The one the Lord loves rests between his shoulders. Now, picture a weaned child. Picture Benny, if you'd like. A weaned child being held between a parent's shoulders. What would that look like? Well, if I were to take Benny and put him between my shoulders, it could mean that he's... Sorry, Benny. It could mean that he's between there, in my chest. That's between my shoulders, isn't it? Or it could mean that he's a bit higher up. On my neck, between my shoulders still. So that's what it means to be between the Lord's shoulders. And who is it that is between the Lord's shoulders? It's the one the Lord loves. Well, who falls under that category? Well, we definitely know Jesus does, doesn't he? What did God say about him? What did the Father say as Jesus was being baptised? This is my son whom I love. And what did, you, what did the Father say when Jesus was transfigured on the mount? This is my son, 
whom I love. So God loves his son. And also Jesus himself said, the father loves the son, several times in John. The father loves the son. So, let the the one the Lord loves rest between his shoulders. So we know that Jesus is the one God loves, and so we know that Jesus rests between the shoulders of God. So on this occasion, and all others where Jesus went to be by himself, to be with his Father in secret, we know that, we can assume that Jesus could pray from the assurance that he was resting between the shoulders of the Father, can't we? When Jesus prayed, it must have been so comforting for him to know that he is the one the Lord loves, and the one the Lord loves rests between his shoulders. Sorry, buddy. We can see from Jesus' prayer in John 17 that Jesus was looking forward to going back. He was longing to be back with his Father where he was before he came to earth, to be with his Father with the glory that they had. So we know that Jesus is looking forward to this, but how comforting would it have been for Jesus to be in prayer, sometimes for hours, knowing that he dwelt between his Father's shoulders? No wonder he could go on his own, even for hours sometimes, and pray. Not rabbiting all the time, but just knowing that right there and right then, he's the one the Lord loves, and the one the Lord loves rests between the shoulders of God. But what about Jesus' disciples? Had this picture of Jesus resting between the shoulders of God rubbed off on them at all? Well, I think it had. But to see that, we might need to talk about bosoms, if that's okay. Is it okay to talk about bosoms this morning? Yes? yes? If not, you might want to close your eyes, or oh, close your ears, sorry. If you're reading this later on, close your eyes. All right. So, did you know that the word bosom occurs five times in the New Testament? Have you ever seen that before? The word bosom occurs? Oh, Ken's nodding. I don't know what versions Ken's got, but in mine, <laughs> in mine, I didn't know that. And maybe in yours you didn't realise that. But actually the Greek word used each time for bosom is kolpos, which literally means um, bosom, or the, the, the hollow bit there in between the chest, in the middle of the chest. And for females, if you've got something like a garter or something like that, or whatever it's called, not sure, what's it called? Corset. Corset, that's the one. <laughs> if you've got a corset or something, it makes, makes the clothing gather up round about the chest area, and that is also the colpos. It's the bosom, Okay. This the ancient Greek was written a long time ago when those sorts of things were around, Wendy. Perhaps it's because you don't know the bosom is there is because our more modern translations have cleaned it up a little bit. They don't like the word bosom. They've decided to use other words, and we'll find out what words they've used in a minute. Um, all right, let's let's. What I want to do 
is to free my hands up. Benny has a baby carrier. Or not to hurt his feelings, a child carrier. Oh, Benny, I should have practiced how to do this, shouldn't I? Now this, would you prefer to see him? Let's, let's, no. He's screaming or playing. Yeah, I, I think he preferred to see you. Here we go. Yeah, it's been a while. Okay. Now I do this for your benefit. Not for Benny's benefit. I do this for your benefit. <laughs> How many of you remember a sermon where I climbed up a ladder? Yes. Can you remember why I climbed up a ladder? For your benefit. <laughs> for your benefit, yes. But can you remember the message? Oh. No. Thank you. Yes, Diane. It was about God coming, Jesus coming down from heaven, wasn't it? He was up there already, he came down, and then he went back up. Okay, so that, this is the benefit for you. Hopefully, if anything, you'll remember this sermon today because of Benny and some of the message. He who the Lord beloves dwells between his bosom or shoulders. Yeah, okay. Right, where are we, Benny? You can read it for me. Hair's getting on my nose. <laughs> All right. Okay, for instance, did you know that in the first chapter of John's Gospel account, John talks about Jesus and God's bosom? Have you ever spotted that before? Turn to John chapter 1, and in the original Greek, the word there is bosom. Okay? John chapter 1. John 1.18 says this, speaking about Jesus, Never, sorry, no one has ever seen God but the one and only Son, who himself, sorry, who is God himself and is in close relationship with the Father. He has made him known. So do you know where the word bosom is supposed to be there? Yes, yes where? Yes. Who is in the bosom of the Father. Okay, your, your translation says who is in the bosom of the Father, is it? That's good. My translation says, the NIV says, who is in closest relationship with. Okay. But, actually, the closest translation to the Greek is, like Maynard's or in the, in the King James Version, it says, which is in the bosom of the Father. So, why has the NIV replaced the word bosom, or chest, for close relationship with? Closest relationship with. Which is a very nice statement, isn't it? To say someone's in a closest relationship with someone. But, when you compare it to the blessing in Deuteronomy that the one the God who God loves would rest between his shoulders, to me, the new translation doesn't quite have the same visual impact. The wonderful thing is now we know the more accurate translation is, we can see the prophetic blessing in Deuteronomy is mirrored here in John. Between God's shoulders here, in the bosom of God here. You can see it's just like 100% reflection, isn't it? Shoulders or chest, bosom. Okay? We hear John saying here, yes, here is Jesus in the flesh and he is indeed in the bosom of God. Smack between his shoulders. 
He is literally resting between the shoulders of God, no doubt about it. Not just in close relationship, but on his bosom, in his bosom. So we now see that this blessing definitely is for Jesus. Jesus dwells or is in the bosom of God. But what about us? And what about the other tribes like Benjamin? They would promise, wouldn't they? The one the Lord loves would dwell between the shoulders of God. So what does that mean for you? What does that mean for the tribes of Israel? Did they dwell in the shoulders of God, between the shoulders of God, in his bosom? Well, let's take another look, this time at another time when Jesus mentioned the word bosom. We've heard John mention bosoms. Now we're going to hear Jesus mention the word bosom. Luke 16. Luke 16, verse 19. Jesus said, There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. And at his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. Now, which word do you think has been replaced, bosom's been replaced with? Side. Side, yeah. It says, he caught, carried him to Abraham's side. However, the original is, in the King James, the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. It's nice to be by Abraham's side, isn't it? But it adds a deeper level of comfort and protection to be delivered into Abraham's bosom. It's nice to be by your mother's side when you're a child. But it's even better to be delivered into your mother's bosom when you're a child, isn't it? Different meanings. Let's continue. Halfway through verse 22. The rich man also died and was buried. In hell, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. What's the more accurate translation? With Lazarus in Abraham's bosom. Okay, so here Jesus describes how Lazarus is in Abraham's bosom and the rich man, whom Jesus hasn't even given a name to, is in hell in torment. This is a true story, by the way. In any of Jesus' parables, did he give someone a name? No. This is a true story, Jesus is telling. This actually happened. There was a beggar called Lazarus and there was a rich man. Lazarus went to Abraham's bosom the rich man went to hell where there is torment. Okay? That gives you a new insight into how important it is for your name to be written in the book of the Lamb's Book of Life, isn't it? For Jesus to know, to name you. Okay. By saying that Lazarus was in Abraham's bosom and the rich man in hell, Jesus was describing the two parts of a place called Hades. Okay? Hades was also known by the Jews and referred to in the Bible as Sheol, or the place of the dead, the underworld where the dead go to, or under the core of the earth. Okay, There's a real place called Hades, and it's split into two parts. There's the bosom of Abraham, also known as paradise, and there's the hell part, the Gehenna, the, the suffering part. The righteous go to paradise, and the unrighteous go to hell. Okay? So when Jesus said to the repentant criminal on the cross, today you will be with me in 
paradise, did Jesus mean heaven? No. Jesus wasn't yet to ascend back to heaven. Jesus had a mission to go into Hades, okay, where there's paradise and there's hell. Right? And we know from Scripture that having paid the price for our sins, Jesus died. Jesus descended into Hades, which is the heart of the earth, as Matthew 10.40 describes it. Jesus preached the gospel to the imprisoned spirits in Hades, which 1 Peter 3.19 says. And having taken the keys of death and Hades from the enemy, which it says in Revelation 1, Jesus led a prison break from Hades. Because all that time, anyone who died, righteous or unrighteous, had to go to the underworld. Okay? They had to. And the enemy held the keys to death and Hades. Everyone had to go there until Jesus died, paid the price for sin, and went down. And what did Jesus do? In Revelation he said, he now has the keys to death and Hades. He took away that authority and he led a prison break. He preached in Hades the gospel, and I'm guessing all who responded, then he said he led the captives free. So there's a prison break from Hades. Up until that point, everyone who died had to go to Hades. Now the righteous, the best that they could look forward to is to be taken into Abraham's bosom, okay? Or between Abraham's, to rest between Abraham's shoulders. But since Jesus paid the price for sin on the cross and all authority had been given to him and he had the keys to death and Hades, where could those who Jesus led out of captivity, out of Hades, and all the righteous that die in Christ since then, like Georgie Judd, where could they now look forward to be going? Any ideas? If they were in the, if the people then were in the bosom of Moses, sorry, Abraham, where could they now look forward to going? To the bosom of God, to the bosom of the Father. Maybe if Jesus explained his conversation to the repentant uh, criminal on the cross and expanded a bit more, maybe Jesus could have said to the criminal on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise, Abraham's bosom, but in three days' time you can be in the bosom of the Father because I will going to make a way for you to come out and then ascend to heaven. But what about you and I who haven't yet gone home to the Father's house? like Jesus promised he'd come and collect us and take us home in John 14. Where do we stand as far as resting in between the shoulders of the Lord as we wait? Well, we know that John spoke of Jesus being in the Father's bosom in the first chapter, but had that revelation of the one the Lord loves rest between his shoulders had an effect on John at all, do you think? Well, I'm pretty sure it did in two obvious ways. The first way is in the way that John decided to refer to himself. Do you know what Jesus, John decided to refer to himself as when he wrote his own gospel? When, yeah. He didn't call himself John. He called himself the disciple who Jesus loved. So I've lost my place. Whatever the reason John chose to refer to himself as this rather than his name, isn't it wonderful? that John was so assured that Jesus loved him. Isn't that wonderful? And what might John write to other Christians to let you know that you are the ones God loves too? 
Well, flick over to the back of the Bible, 1 John. We've re- we're in the Gospel of John. Now flick over to, oh no, we were in Matthew, weren't we? 1 John, verse 4. John wants you to know, he wants Christians to know that they are the disciples Jesus loves too, that God loves them. Okay, 1 John 4, verse 9, it says, This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. God loved you even before you loved him back. God loved you even before you loved him back. If you want to know how much you are loved by God, just look at what Jesus did for you. There's all the proof you need to know right there that God loves you. And we know from Romans 8 that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And the Bible says if you have the Son, you have the Father also. And just go back to 1 John 3. Flick back one chapter to 1 John 3. Let's hear something else that John wrote in the same letter about the Father's love for you. Verse 1, 1 John 3 verse 1 says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. You are a loved child of God. And where might that loved child of God rest? Between his shoulders. But is that now, or is that when you arrive in heaven? Wendy's pointing to now. Now. Well, can we find out by just checking out one more bosom? Is that all right? Okay, let's go to John 13. One more bosom, John 13. You can tell now why the NRV have decided to change the word bosom, haven't you? Can you imagine imagine Becky going out to our youth group and and using the word bosom there? Okay, John 13, 21. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples after the Last Supper. After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, Very truly I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another, at a loss to know which one of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, who's John referring to? Himself. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was was reclining next to him. Simon Peter mentioned to this disciple and said, or motioned to this disciple and said, ask him which one he means. So the NIV has, has John reclining next to Jesus. What do you reckon the correct translation or the King James or any other translations that use the correct word says? Yeah. It says John was leaning on Jesus' bosom, or others have, he was leaning on Jesus' chest. Okay. Which, for me, is far more impactful than John just reclining next to Jesus. Anyone could be reclining next to someone. It's totally different if someone's reclining on someone's chest, isn't it? Okay. So John opens his Gospel account saying that Jesus rests in the bosom of God, doesn't he? 
not just in closest relationship, but he actually rests in the bosom of God. And then John later on writes in himself that he was resting on the bosom of Jesus. Isn't that a wonderful picture? Do you think that rubbed off on John? The very fact that Jesus rests in the bosom of God and now he rests on the bosom of Jesus, who is his Lord and God too. Okay. John is definitely enjoying the blessing of Benjamin right there and then. The one the Lord loves resting between the shoulders of God. But what about you and I? As his beloved, as the Father loves us, just as he loves Jesus, as it says in John 17, to rest in between the shoulders of the Lord is definitely our prize in the future. No doubt about it. But can we, like Jesus and like John, partake of it in our present? Quickly and finally, turn to chapter 4 of Hebrews. Now in my Bible, this chapter is entitled, chapter 4 is entitled, Christ's rest is promised to all who believe. I don't know what your, your one's entitled, but mine is Christ's rest is promised to all who believe. And in the first 13 verses, entering into God's rest is mentioned nine times. So this is about entering into God's rest, okay? It's mentioned nine times in the first 13 verses. I want to read from verse 14. You ready? It says, therefore, meaning, therefore, since there's a rest of God to enter into, it says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, that's Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathise with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. The first 13 verses talk about entering God's rest. And now we are told how to, by prayer. Because through our faith in Jesus Christ, we are now God's children, spiritually seated in heaven in Christ Jesus, it says. We're born again when we come to faith in Jesus. We're now God's children, spiritually seated already in heavenly places. So in prayer, we can approach the throne of God because we're literally coming home. That's where our home is, that's where we belong, and in prayer, we can go there. And as we do, we can engage in that rest. One day, we will fully know what it is like to rest between the shoulders of God, in the bosom of God. But for now, just as Jesus did, as we make time to come away in secret, to be before the throne of our Father and calm and quiet ourselves like a weaned child with its mother. May we have moments, just like Jesus and John, where we appreciate what it is to be beloved of God and the beloved rest between his shoulders. It's good that we ask for prayer. It's good that we ask, we intercede, we go shopping in our prayers. It is good we're told to ask for things. But also, we need to have time when it's just you and he. 
and you know that you are resting between the shoulders of God in the bosom of your Father. No wonder Jesus spent so much time by himself with the Father, resting in his arms.